tail end of this series because honestly, I was just kind of avoiding it and I really didn't want to talk about it. Um, because if you want a perfect way to make parents mad or you want a perfect way to make a kid mad, um, talk about sex or religion. And so tonight we're going to talk about sex. Um, we'll get to religion later. I was actually going to talk about religion first because it's the one that scares me less than this does. If you have turned the television on since we were gone on Christmas break, you have seen all the controversy and the stuff with Phil Robertson and Duck Dynasty. Um, we, it, is, it is a quarter till seven, and I'm going to be real honest with you guys, as long as I went for the middle schoolers and I left a bunch of this out because I wasn't real blunt with them, um, we may go all the way to 7.15, and I'm, I'm sorry if we do. Okay. Um, you cannot have watched the news and not seen the stuff about what Phil Robertson said. Huh? Do you know what Phil Robertson said? All right. Now, you may not care for Duck Dynasty, and that's fine, and you may think that the way he put it and the way he said it was crass and wrong and flippant, and um, I would happen to disagree. Just personality-wise, it didn't bother me a bit. I think he was probably trying to be funny, and it came out weird, which, if you know me well, know that that happens to me all the time. So... um, I don't really have an issue with how he said it, but I understand why people did. But the fact is, is that even if you have an issue with how he said it, what he said is straight up Bible. Straight out of the Bible. And one of the things that you heard through all of that discussion, and one of the places that you kept coming back to, was here. But God made me this way. Who are you to judge me? God made me like this. In my former life, and my former job, I was known for two things. I was known for asking why incessantly and driving people absolutely insane because I kept asking, well, why do we do it that way and how come I got to do it like this? Because most of the time people don't know why we do things. They just do them because somebody told them to do them and they don't know why. And it drove me nuts. So the other thing that I was well known for is I like to take the same logic that applies to one situation if I think you're looking at it wrong and go, okay, well, let's take your logic on that situation and let's apply that logic to a completely different situation and take the emotion out of it and see where we end up. That's this. If homosexuality is not a sin because God made me this way, then... Let's take the logic that applies to that, and let's look at another situation, okay? I'm a recovering alcoholic. Done every drug known to man, and I'm a recovering alcoholic. Been sober eight and a half years. There is a genetic marker for addiction. You can find it. When they mapped the human genome... You can go check my kids if you wanted to do a blood test on my kids, and they can probably find the genetic marker that predisposes me to addiction. Let's take the same logic. If I am predisposed to addiction, if it is part of my genetic makeup, who are you to judge me if I want to go drink? Hang on. Oh, you're judging me? (laughs) I know what you're reading, but you might have that genetic inside of you, Mm -hmm. but We're going to get there. You got it. You stole my last two slides. 
<laughs> it's all right. So then if you want to take that logic, why, why is me drinking like a fish wrong? Why or is the stupidity that went on in my behavior wrong? Because I have a perfectly rational reason to do it. Because God made me that way. And the logic used in this situation breaks down when you try to take the when you take the emotion out of it. And this is an emotional issue. It's an emotional issue because the theory behind it goes out the window when it's a family member or when it's a friend. And I have friends that are gay. And I love them. And I tell them, I don't believe in the things that you're doing, and I don't believe in the way that you live your life, but I love you. And we still are friends. And we will work our way back around to that when we get done with this thing. But when you start looking at it, applying that logic to other situations, and you take the emotion out of it, you start to see where the logic fails. And here's the thing. There are a couple of issues that we are going to talk about in this where the Bible is unambiguously 100% crystal clear that there is no, well, it could have meant, and, you know, we had this whole thing here uh, in, in big church, I shouldn't call it that, over drinking. You know, we had a, there was a sermon on alcohol and there was some debate on whether or not people should drink and shouldn't drink. I have my opinions. But this is one of those subjects where you don't read Scripture and go, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not real clear. Okay? There isn't a whole lot of debate about what Scripture says about this. Leviticus 18.22. You shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Does anyone have any questions about that? Because that's pretty clear. There's not a whole lot of gray area in that particular statement. In case you think we're only going Old Testament, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. We're going to come back to that verse. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the holy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Um, There is not any gray area as to where Scripture happens to fall out on this particular subject. Um, I want to read you all something, and this is... Eh, no, we're going to come back to that. Um, so, you look at what the Bible says about it, and then you can even go back, we can go really all nice and old school and go back to Genesis. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created the male and female in His own image and blessed them. And He said, Go fruitful and multiply. Now, in the middle school room, this got a little iffy because you don't know whose dad's had the talk and whose dad hadn't had the talk. Not so much in the high school. Anybody got any questions about where babies come from? Okay. Anybody have any doubts about how that whole process works? Donnie, you should talk to your father. God created them male and female and told them, go forth and multiply. If, if, God creates and condones a physical homosexual relationship, Explain that verse to me. Explain to me how the same God who created us male and female and said, go forth and multiply, and that was the order given to us, then is okay with a sexual relationship that precludes the existence of that mandate. Genesis 2, chapter 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But the thing that you have to take into consideration is that this is chapter 2. If you have ever read the whole book, chapter 2 was still the perfect world. Okay, It got screwed up in chapter 3. And we underestimate the importance and the impact of that decision. We underestimate what the introduction of sin into the world did. That world is not the world that we live in. And we look around us at all the stuff that goes on around us and we think, all right, well, some of that stuff's not all that big of a deal. But everything around us follows as a consequence of the sin that was introduced into the world by our forefathers' actions however many years ago. And we don't take that into consideration. And this is why I want to come back to this thing. Did you all read this first out of Romans in your all's room? All right. This is out of Romans. Um, it gets a little weird and confusing in that translation, so we're going to use a different translation. All right. Um, I think this started. Yep. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And we go on uh, for a little bit. Uh, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. They basically gave up their adoration of God and started to adore idols. And if you watch television, you understand what adoring idols goes along with. Therefore, God delivered them over to their cravings of their hearts, so that they degraded their bodies among themselves. Um, 
Because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind and what is morally wrong. They were filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They were full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice, gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parenting, unconcerned, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Um, If you want to know what a society looks like whenever they turn their back on God and start to lose their moral compass, go back and read that part of Romans. Um, Or you could turn the television on. Because the fact is, you could take Paul, drop him in our culture, and he could write the exact same thing. Because what happens when you remove the moral compass from a society is what you see going on around us right now. If you're a history nut, go back and read the fall of Rome. Go back and read the accounts of the tail end of the Roman Empire. And look around and tell me if it's not what's going on around us today. Because it is. And the fact is, when we start to lose our moral compass, when we start to take God out of our lives, when we start to take God out of schools, when we start to take God out of the areas of our life where we need His guidance and direction, you see the consequences of that all around us in this world. Let's go back. Let's step away from the Bible stuff for a minute and let's talk about this. Let's talk about genetics. Um, Scientifically, people have been, scientists have been trying to prove the genetic basis for homosexuality for years. Um, In some cases, they point to evidence of homosexual behavior in the animal kingdom or what looks like it, and they say, see, there, it's in animals, it's got to be in us. The fact is the human genome has been mapped and there isn't a gay gene. There's not. There's a gene for blue eyes and there's a gene for addiction and there's a gene for blonde hair and there's a gene for all of these other physical attributes, but that particular gene has not been found. I read a paper when I was doing the research for this that a group of geneticists have now said, basically, we admit it, we won't find one, there isn't one. So now we're on to something called epigenetics, which is, means that the changes in the hormonal balance in the mother's wound impacts the fetus and impacts the way that genes are expressed in that particular child. Um. <laughs> That's funny. Sorry. Um, so, I, I don't. I don't know. Okay. Now I'm going to go. I'm going to give you one of the things we're going to talk about is does science disprove the Bible? And let me let me go. Compl- this hear me very clearly. What I am about to tell you is my opinion. Mine. My opinion. This is now the Bible. This is my opinion. Okay. I understand genetics. Okay. I'm a farm kid. I spent a ton of time in the science world. I used to work for a company that did genetic testing. I'm a science geek to a certain extent. I understand genetics. I also understand how genes are passed on to subsequent generations. If you believe, and this is a great thing if you get a science teacher at this level or the next level who wants to challenge you on the existence of God or the existence of evolution. 
you ask that particular science teacher, do you believe in evolution? And he will probably say yes. And you ask that particular science teacher, then do you believe that homosexuality is genetic? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you say then you can't believe in evolution. Because traits are passed to subsequent generations through reproduction. Traits that do not lend themselves to reproduction and vitality are not passed on to subsequent generations. If homosexuality were a genetic trait, it is a self-limiting genetic trait because by its very nature, the expression of that gene precludes its reproduction because it causes a behavior that by its very nature is not reproducible. So you can ask a professor that, well, you can't possibly believe in evolution because you believe homosexuality is genetic. And if you don't believe that homosexuality is genetic, then you must acknowledge the existence of God because then evolution doesn't exist because it doesn't hold true. Now, I don't know if any of that's accurate or not, but what I do know is that at the end of the day, it really doesn't make a lot of difference. The other argument that you will hear is who would choose to live this way? Given the persecution that homosexuals face in this country, why would someone choose to live that way? And please hear me correctly. I am not saying that doesn't exist because it does. I have friends of mine who are gay, and I know some of the stuff that they have been through, and it's awful. Okay? But what I would ask you to do is watch television from 7 to 10 at night and tell me whose lifestyle is being celebrated, because it ain't mine. Okay? Watch network television and tell me if the way I live my life and my belief system is promoted and honored and celebrated. Because it's not. My belief system is the one that is ridiculed and mocked and demeaned and called wrong. And those of you that know me very well know I may be a lot of things, but a bigot is not one of them. I just don't care. I am one of the most racially, sexually orientation concerned people you will ever meet in your entire life. I just don't care. But that's what I'm called because I believe the Bible. Because I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Those are the things that are said about me and people that believe what I believe and live the life that I live and practice what I practice, is that I'm a racist, and I'm a bigot, and I'm a homophobe, and I'm backwards, and I'm unintelligent. Tell me which lifestyle is the one being celebrated in popular media, and then tell me why that's such an issue to live that out. And you guys can walk around the halls in the high school and see that to a certain extent. The only people that probably give the people in your high school that are openly gay a hard time are the really kind of hardcore rednecks and everybody else probably just ignores it and goes on with it. And there's probably even a certain part of the high school population that thinks it's the coolest, greatest thing that has ever existed. Tell me which one is celebrated. Walk down the hallway telling people about Jesus walk down the hallway telling people you're gay, see which one of you gets more grief over it. 
because I got a pretty good idea which one it's going to be. All right. So, back to my original point. When we open this, is did God make us this way? And the answer is, in honest, I don't know. I have my suspicions. I don't think so. And I think, I think, I think Scripture and science together prove that there is no genetic predisposition to this. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Here's what I want you to hear me say. We came through all that, and I scared everybody to death to get to this point. I want us to go back to something. I want us to go back and read this together. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers do men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's in that list, but it ain't by itself in that list. And that's, the thing, that's one of the things that I want you guys to hear from me very, very clearly. Is we make this really big deal over it because, frankly, most of us, I don't know if it weirds the girls out, but frankly, most of the guys, it kind of freaks out a little bit and we think it's a little gross. And so we make it into this big, giant deal. But the fact is, is that in the eyes of God, sin is sin. The fact that this sin freaks you out doesn't make this sin worse than any other sin that is in that list. It is the sin that separates you from God. And there is no big giant cosmic scale where you get weighed where some people's sins are worse than other people's sins. If you read through that, that list, it doesn't say all of these people are going to hell, especially it says all of these people are separated from God, period. And that is what we get into as Christians. And that is where the bigot label comes from. The bigot label comes in when we start thinking that the thing that we happen to struggle with is not nearly as bad as that or whatever that is. That's when it becomes a problem. What I want you guys to take out of this is that to me, the response of a Christian to a family member, a friend, or anyone who is existing in a physical same-sex relationship is not one of condemnation. You're not called on to be the Holy Spirit. You are not the person who is supposed to go up and beat them over the head and tell them their behavior is wrong. You're not supposed to help them, and you're not supposed to condone them, and you are supposed to make your feelings known. But after you speak your mind and make your feelings known, shut up and love them. Because that's what we're called to do. You take Jesus to people and you let that do its work. And you let the Holy Spirit do its work. And you don't shove people out of your life because of this. If people would have shoved me out of their life because of my alcoholism, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Somebody brought me the gospel in the midst of my sin, and that's why I'm here. And that is what we are called to to do. So don't hear me wrong. I clearly believe the practice of homosexuality is a sin. And that is the distinction I want you to take out of this. Okay? The practice of my alcoholism is sinful. I don't know what the genetic predisposition is. 
I don't have any idea. But I do know that the Bible very clearly states that drunkenness is a sin. And I do know the Bible clearly states that the practice of same-sex relationships is a sin. I also know the Bible clearly states that idolatry is a sin and lying is a sin. And there's a whole lot of other stuff that we can go down the list. There isn't a distinction in the eyes of God. The point of that, don't hear me wrong, the point of that is not to minimize this. Okay? I don't want you to walk out of here and think, well, okay, it was just not a big deal. It's just like any other sin. It's the wrong reaction. What I'm saying is that you search inside of your head and you figure out which sin you think it is that is the worst possible one that you could commit, and then you try to wrap your head around that God doesn't see a difference in that one and the little one that you think you get away with. Because all sins created equal in the eyes of God. And the problem is, is that none of us live a life clean enough and good enough and right enough and nice enough and straight enough and do enough good works for people to get ourselves into heaven. Because the rest of that verse is this, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is what we are called to do in this situation. That's what we're called to do in any situation where a friend, a family member, a loved one is living in what the Bible clearly identifies as sin. You are called to read the first two verses of that and realize there you were but for this. The fact that whatever it is that they're into scares you really bad, I don't care. Because God doesn't care. Because God doesn't draw a distinction between whatever that really bad sin that you've got in your head that you think is the worst thing somebody could do and the little one that you do by yourself when you don't think anybody's paying attention. Those are the same sins in the eyes of God. And instead of turning down the impact of this, you need to turn up the impact of the rest of it and realize that without Christ and without Christ's death on the cross for our sins, ain't none of us getting into heaven. Ain't none of us going to be right with God. Aren't none of us coming into a relationship where we can live our life in a clean enough fashion to pull all this off on our own? Because it doesn't. Because the fact is, is that the 42-year-old drunk who did everything wrong got saved. And all of the sins and all the crap that are in my past, they're not keeping me out of heaven. Because I got saved. I accepted Christ as my Savior. And I don't care how clean Kaylee lives her life. If she doesn't accept Christ, and she has. If Kaylee doesn't accept Christ, she can be the best person she wants to be. She can volunteer six days a week. She can go to church twice a week. She can come in here and do all of the stuff that she wants to do, and she can put on a great little show. And at the end of the day, when both of us are dead, I'm going to heaven, and she's not. Because she's not accepted Christ as her Savior. And I'm going to tell you, you cannot live your way into heaven. You can't. And when you start trying to put sin on a scale and you start trying to judge other people, you need to come back to these verses over and over and over and realize that there is no difference in sin in the eyes of God. And the one that you think isn't that big of a deal, you're not the person who gets to decide that. God is. And the one that you think is so awful that it's unforgivable, 
You're not the one that gets to decide that either. God is. And I have this thing in the back of my head where I think we're all going to be a little freaked out when we get to heaven and the guy who happens to sit across the table from me when we sat down to eat dinner killed about six people. But he accepted Christ. And you know what? That guy's going to be sitting across the table from me. And the kid that I grew up with in church that went to church with his family and got married at 18 and lived a good life and did everything for everybody and his neighbors loved him and thought he was the greatest dude on the planet that didn't accept Christ, he ain't going to be there. And it's really hard to get your head around. And it's really hard to accept. But the fact is, and that's why that hunt for a hundred thing came to me is going through this stuff. we got people around us that we all love very, very dearly. And if we really believe what we say we believe, if they don't come to know Jesus as their Savior, they're going to hell. And you want to talk about a hard truth out of the Bible, that's a hard truth out of the Bible. The hard truth out of the Bible isn't homosexuality is a sin. The hard truth out of the Bible is that people who haven't accepted Christ as their Savior are going to hell. Doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter how clean you live. Doesn't matter. Ain't fair. It's not fair that I get in. It's not fair doing the stuff that I did that I get in. When my wife's grandmother, who's never done a thing wrong in her life, she gets in. She's going to be really ticked when I'm there because she knows all the stuff that I did. And I can see her looking at Jesus and going, what's that dude doing here? And his answer is going to be, because he knew me. Because he accepted me as his Savior. So the, the reason the hunt for 100 came out, it came out of getting ready for this thing. Because I got to thinking about this. And I got to thinking about the people that are in my family that I know don't have a personal relationship with Christ and have not accepted Christ as their Savior. I know those people in my family, and I know who they are, and I can sit here and name them all. And you know what? I don't know when the last time I sat down and had that conversation with them was because it scares me, and it makes me uncomfortable. But if I really love them, then I'm going to have it. And that's where that hunt for 100 thing comes from. It came from these verses. It came from sitting at this verse and going, I'm not really better than you. No matter how much I think I'm better than you, I'm not really better than you. Because whatever I did in the eyes of God still separates me from Him and still without a relationship with Christ, I'm still going straight to hell. And there's nothing I can do about it. I can't live my life right enough to fix it. So, um, I have gone over. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's your take home from tonight. Take home from tonight's three things. Very clearly, unequivocally, four things. Very, very clearly, unequivocally, the practice of a same-sex relationship is a sin. Period. The practice of is a sin. Who you are is not necessarily sinful. What you do can be. The practice of this is a sin. Okay? That's one. Number twos are not some big giant cosmic scale where some sins are worse than another. All right? This isn't the like big worst one ever. They're all the same. Don't try to turn down this sin to make you feel better. Just kind of realize that the stuff that we all think we get away with is just as bad in the eyes of God. That's two. Three, the thing that we are called on as Christians to do is not 
to be the Holy Spirit. We are not called to beat somebody over the head with the Bible and tell them all the ways that they are screwing up their life. We are called to lovingly say, I don't agree with what you're doing, and here's why, and I love you anyway, and you want to go have lunch. And in the middle of lunch, you go, you know, the Bible says, but I love you anyway, let's go have breakfast. You're called to love people. And you be the way that the gospel begins to impact and steer their life. Don't shun them. Don't push them away. Don't ridicule them. Don't make fun of them. Love them. That's what you're called to do. The fourth thing, the last thing out of this, most important thing you take out of here tonight, if you need to call one of us, if you need to call your small group leader, you need to text somebody else in this group when you get home, that's fine. If God is working on you when you get out of this thing, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, if you have not hit your knees and said, Jesus, I am a disaster and a sinner and I need you in my life, help me because I don't know what I'm doing. If you have not had that prayer, I don't mean to break it to you, but the Bible also says some pretty harsh truths about that. And what it says is you're going straight to hell. And it doesn't matter how good you are. And it doesn't matter how well you lived your life. And that may freak you out and you may not think it's fair, but it's not. And I get it. And that's fine. So, nothing like a nice, light first night back to the point to talk through stuff that's easy and fun and cheerful. Wasn't it awesome? So, uh, left in this series, next week, Ethan DeWitt um, is going to teach next week. I will not be here. I think Ethan is doing Why Do We Need Jesus? Um, Then we're going to do one on dating and relationships, which which is going to be almost as much fun as this one was. And then we're going to do one on why are there so many different religions and how do we know that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We're going to cover that one. That'll be fun. And then I think we're going to come back to uh, dating and relationships again and marriage and biblical marriage and how marriages are structured and the role of a husband and wife. And I think I'm going to do that one for you guys and not the middle schoolers because they don't need to care yet. Um, (laughs) But uh, I want to talk to you guys about the fact when we get there, I'm going to give you a little heads up before we get to that point. You guys are hitting the age where there's no such thing as a casual dating relationship, and you guys might not like hearing me say that. But the fact is is that if the person that you are dating or considering dating is not a person that you would consider being married to, then you are wasting your time, and you need to break it off and leave them alone because this is not playtime, okay? So um, if it's not a potential mate for life, then you need to stop dating them. If it's not, <laughs> Bailey's amen in me over there. So that's it. All right, let's pray. We'll get you guys out of here because I got kids outside and I got parents waiting to come. God, I just thank you so much for the time to come together tonight. Um, Lord, I'm going to be real selfish. I'm going to just thank you for getting me through this, frankly. Um, this scared me to death. And Jesus, I think that you thank you that you gave me the words and the strength to not struggle. And I just thank you for the message. I thank you so much for God's Word, for the clarity that it speaks on, on subjects. I thank, you for, I thank you for the outlines, and I thank you for the teaching, and I thank you for Christ coming to the cross for us, that even though whatever our sin is, that we can be made right, that we can be brought back into a relationship with you, that no matter what we have done, we can be brought 
back to a relationship with God through the sacrifice of Christ, that all we have to do is ask. All we have to do is say, Jesus, I am a sinner and I'm a mess and I need you in my life. And that starts the process of cleaning that junk out of our life. And that simple decision, that simple words bring us salvation. And they mean that we don't spend an eternity in hell as the Bible says that we will. Lord, I thank You for these kids. I thank You for their heart. I thank You for their love for each other. I thank You for their patience with me. And I thank You for the small group leaders who come in here and love on them every week and just do life with them and be a part of it. Um, And I just ask that You grab a hold of some hearts in this room on this hunt for 100 like You grabbed a hold of me over the last couple of weeks. And if we really believe what we say we believe, then we need to go do something about it. That coming in here... And hanging out on Wednesdays is not exactly what you wanted us to do. And we need to get busy. I love you, Lord. And I just thank you for the time that we get to come together. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.